Welcome to the Trust Your Gut Podcast. I'm your host, Demi Fair. Here we dive into the world of the mind-body connection, exploring the gut-brain axis, microbiome, and nervous system while harnessing the power of intuition and connection to spirit. If you struggle with chronic digestive and mental stress and are tired of trying just one more diet or supplement to address your symptoms, then this is the place for you. Join me as we learn from the world of science and medicine, but also from nature, our own inner knowing, and personal stories. Thank you for tuning in, and now it's time to trust your gut. Hello and welcome back to the Trust Your Gut podcast. So I'm going to just take a brief intermission this week on continuing the travel story series just because next I'm going to be talking about my time in New Zealand, which was really rich for me. I think it's going to take quite some time to create that episode. I have to go through my past journals and for the past couple episodes, it's definitely been a little time consuming to do so. I've really enjoyed the process, but I just don't have that time or capacity this week. So I want to talk about something today that has been on my mind to create an episode about. I mentioned it last week, and that's obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, this is something that I've more recently in my life come to understand that I struggle with and actually name that. I always thought it was anxiety, indecision, and although I knew I had OCD tendencies as a kid, It's something that I've never really identified as an adult until more recently, and that's actually been so helpful for me because I'm able to um, resonate with understanding what OCD actually is, and it gives me more clarity on what it is that I'm experiencing, and I don't feel so... It just it helps give me more resources and tools and answers. So it's been really helpful for me to identify that within myself and also understand the different subtypes of OCD because there's a bunch. And so I really want to take this opportunity to make this episode because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around OCD. And we've all heard it before people throw around like, oh, yeah, I'm a little bit OCD. I like to keep things really clean or like, oh, she's a little bit OCD because she's, you know, anal or whatever it may be. And, you know, it's done with kind of a joking energy. I don't take it personally, but I'm sure others who struggle with OCD, you know, wouldn't feel very good hearing about that. And that just paints that there's such a misunderstanding about what it is because it's not necessarily just going to be about washing your hands or checking doorknobs, or making sure everything's clean. So I want to just debunk a little bit about OCD by explaining what it is um, really simply and clearly, and then I want to talk about you know my experience with it and the subtype that I tend to struggle with. And the purpose of this is because I also hope that for any of you out there who do struggle with OCD or maybe just struggle with anxiety, you might notice some of yourself within this. You might resonate with this a little bit. And like I said, it's been so, so helpful for me to actually identify the anxiety I experience as OCD because it gives me just like a whole community to tap into. Um, You know, I've went and found someone to work with who understands OCD and it offers different tools to utilize. 
So that's what I'm going to get into today. Before I do that, I want to make an announcement that I'm currently doing a podcast giveaway. So to celebrate being at almost 50 episodes of the Trust Your Gut podcast and opening the doors to my program Gut Brain Healing Toolkit next month, which is November 2023, I want to do a giveaway to give one winner free access to the Gut Brain Healing Toolkit. So to enter, you'll just need to tune in here to this podcast, but you'll want to do it through Apple iTunes because that's the only place that you can leave an actual written comment. So make sure you are subscribed, leave a comment, and then take a screenshot of that comment and share it on your social media somewhere. Uh, with the intention to like share the podcast with your community or your friends or someone else. Uh, So that could be through a story, that could be through a post if you want it to be more permanent because you care about this podcast so much. Um, You can feel free to write whatever other words you want to write, but I just need to know that like I see the screenshot there. Tag me in it, which is at trustyourgut.health. You can find my social media stuff below in the show notes. And then I'm going to pick a winner on November 11th to win free and lifetime access to the Gut Brain Healing Toolkit, which I think is going to be pretty sweet. Uh, So if you have been here listening for a while and you enjoy this show, I just want you to know that like having, you know, people subscribe, having people download episodes and then having those comments, like getting reviews, just the stars is always helpful but the comments seem to kind of like boost the podcast and just like helps it get in front of more people. And this is like really the best place where I can offer my support for free. Otherwise, I'm limited to, you know, social media, which is like 90 seconds to maybe three minute, you know, little videos where I can help people. So um, I really want to the people who need this information to be able to find this and it's a slow growth so thank you so much for just listening and if you are interested in winning or if you just want to offer more support I know that like I listen to podcasts for a long time and then I realize I never like leave a review or comment on them so um, I need to go through and do that to the ones I really appreciated Uh, The second announcement is I am doing a brand new free masterclass next month. Um, This is called From Managing Symptoms to True Healing Break Free of the IBS Stress Cycle. And I'm going to be talking about some of the hidden things that are keeping us stuck in that IBS stress cycle and walk you through my unique five-step approach to actually healing from that IBS stress cycle and not just kind of being stuck in managing our symptoms, which diet and supplement protocols, even the protocols for SIBO or dysbiosis are still managing symptoms. So I have this approach that I want to share with you all. So if you're interested in that, there's a link to uh, get um, a seat, sign up for the masterclass below in the show notes as well. All right, so that's enough announcements. Let's get into the content for today. So we're just going to start by, you know, simply understanding what is OCD. So OCD is 
a mental health condition that involves a recurring cycle of intrusive and distressing thoughts. These are what are known as obsessions. So you can think about obsessive thoughts, obsessive thinking, that's also called rumination. And I'm sure many of us have experienced that to a certain point. Maybe we said something to someone or we made a decision and ended up not being the right decision or you know someone said something to us there's something that happened and we kind of like ruminate on it like we keep thinking about it it kind of feels like it's just like spiraling in our brain so that's what's happening with OCD with the obsessions there's a rumination around a thought a thought has come in and they're often you know feeling intrusive or distressive because you know they're not helpful they're not like a thought that's being really wanted or you know it's it's gotten snagged and kind of hooked and now we're ruminating on it we're obsessing about it so there's that part and then there's also often the need to perform repetitive behaviors or mental rituals these are known as compulsions and the reason that compulsions happen is because they're an attempt to alleviate the anxiety and discomfort caused by the obsessions. So let me repeat that again. The compulsions happen because I'm going to speak in like we, because I'm just going to include myself in this since this is something that I do struggle with. You know, we think that by doing this compulsion, we are going to now, you know, relieve ourselves of that like anxiety, the distress or the, you know, the rumination or the obsessive thought. So I'll be giving a lot of examples throughout this episode. So I'm just going to try to break down the obsessive part first, and then I'll break down the compulsion part first, and then go into some of the subtypes. So obsessions are usually distressing and intrusive thoughts. They can also be kind of like urges or mental images that are repeatedly and involuntarily entering a person's mind. And they often create feelings of anxiety. Like anxiety and OCD are kind of so interwoven that like my therapist says she treats both the same way, right? Um, Fear can be another part of this too, or discomfort. And from a nervous system perspective, this is so much being in that fight or flight state, right? Anxiety, hypervigilance, overthinking, you know, sometimes this can be like trying to figure something out mentally um, or like learn from a past experience. There could be a rumination there. That's kind of what I experienced. So typically, if we're experiencing OCD, we're probably someone who also tends to be a little bit more in that fight or flight energy and also experience anxiety or hypervigilance. And you know, there's a question about like, does OCD develop from being, you know, dysregulated and in that fight or flight state of our life from an early age, you know, or from certain traumatic experiences. So here's some like key characteristics of obsessions in OCD. So I've already talked about like the intrusiveness. That's one of the most key components. They're like unwelcome thoughts. They're uninvited. They disrupt normal thinking and mental state that a person's having repetitiveness they're often persistent and repetitive Um, they can return so sometimes like I'll experience a rumination um, and kind of work through it but then I wake up and the the next morning it's back 
um, and it's, it's with me again, right? So it can kind of be repetitive. Inappropriateness, um, sometimes they can be inconsistent with the person's values, beliefs, or characters. They could be irrational. They could be unreasonable. Um, and, you know, this can just vary a lot from person to person. So I think one of the, you know, general views of OCD is like, People who fear contamination, who need to wash their hands a bunch, like contamination can be one part of it. Some people might have thoughts around harming themselves or others or fears of making mistakes or forbidden thoughts or concerns about order and symmetry. That's another thing that I think the general kind of idea about OCD is like they want things really in order and symmetrical. Um so those are just some examples of kind of like what obsessive thoughts can be like, but just consider for yourself, like when have you been ruminating or overanalyzing or you felt like this thought in your mind just kept repeating, um, even if it was just for a little bit, like I think we've all experienced that time of getting kind of like hung up on something. And then if you don't experience OCD, like that that little experience that you might have of ruminating on something that's just like so so amplified for someone who has OCD and it can just feed again into that deep level of anxiety now because the obsessions tend to feel out of the person's control and like even if that person can recognize that they're irrational, they might still struggle to manage the anxiety that accompanies it or the fear that accompanies it. And so this is what leads to the experience of compulsions. Now I want to go into explaining compulsions. So when I consider, you know, the most common compulsions that someone with OCD may do things like checking right are the doors locked are the appliances turned off you know are things safe and secure excessive hand washing cleaning sanitizing to you know alleviate fears of contaminations or germs uh, repeated counting of objects numbers or actions as a way to create a sense of order and control Repeating, doing tasks or actions multiple times until they feel right or are performed flawlessly. This is often driven by fears of making mistakes. Ordering and arranging the need to arrange objects or things in a specific, symmetrical, or precise manner to prevent harm or create a sense of order. So I list these first because, again, I think that when we think about OCD, these are the things that we commonly think, oh, you know, someone who needs to make sure the door's locked or, like, touch the handle knob however many times or wash their hands however many times or count something however many times, right? And those are, you know, compulsions that one might have. But there's others, right? Like seeking reassurance, frequently asking for reassurance from others or themselves to alleviate doubts or fears. Uh, avoidance, some people just avoid situations or people or places that trigger obsessions even if that's really impractical or limiting. Um, touching or tapping objects a certain number of times to prevent harm or create a feeling of just right. Hoarding is another compulsion of collecting and 
um, refusing to get rid of items even when they're like clutter they have little or no value it's often driven by the fear of losing something important this is something that my grandma actually struggled with with food um, and someone else in my family so there could be a genetic aspect here and then I'm going to talk a lot about the mental compulsions because that's what I experience so this can be mental rituals that can be things like counting praying or silently repeating specific phrases as a way to neutralize obsessive thoughts Um, mental review this is a big one for me like continuously reviewing past events or action um, to like seek reassurance you know for ourselves or um, for some people that might be to make sure no harm was caused um And sometimes people might do like mental suppression that's attempting to push away or suppress obsessive thoughts, which can actually make them more persistent because the more we try to avoid and push away anxiety in general, the more it can rise. And so it's actually important to like be with it to whatever capacity that we can, which is a whole big part of the work I do with nervous system regulation and somatic work. So I just talked a little bit about you know, the, the mental kind of acts that people can do as part of their compulsions. And I've covered, you know, kind of the general things that we might see, but just to like kind of give a little bit more context to that. Typically there's going to be some level of mental review. So it's just kind of like um, post-event processing, reviewing past conversations or actions or events just to like make sure they didn't do anything wrong. Did I say the right thing? Um, kind of seeking reassurance from themselves that they haven't like caused harm or done the right thing. Um, This could be the same with like mental counting or calculations to alleviate anxiety. Um, Sometimes there's uh, repetitive prayers or religious rituals that someone might do mentally to help alleviate that anxiety. Um, Then there's kind of this whole like mental checklist aspect. So instead of like physically checking objects or doors, individuals may mentally check to ensure they haven't made a mistake or caused harm, often going through a mental checklist. So um, there's also mental imagery. People might engage in distressing mental imagery or playing out scenarios mentally to ensure their fears don't come true. So it's not a visible compulsion, right? You're not going to see necessarily somebody cleaning or checking things in the house. It's all happening mentally. And so this is the type of OCD that I struggle with. And I'm going to just go over some of the main different subtypes. And then I'll talk about the one that I experienced most. So... Um, there is contamination OCD, that, so that's obsessions related to germs, dirts, or contamination. Um, this is checking OCD, so people who have persistent fears that something terrible will happen if they don't repeatedly check things like locked doors, appliances, or safety measures, so that's kind of the compulsion there as well. Um, there's harm OCD so this is obsessions about causing harm to oneself or others either intentionally or accidentally compulsions might include avoiding certain objects or situations or seeking reassurance that they haven't committed any harm there's ordering and arranging OCD 
So that's the need to arrange objects or things in a specific way to prevent harm or create a sense of order and control. So that's going to be compulsions that are constantly rearranging and aligning objects. Then there's religious OCD. So this is obsessions relating to religious or moral beliefs. They may worry about committing sacrilegious acts or moral transgressions and compulsions may include excessive prayer, confession, or rituals related to religious practices. There's sexual orientation OCD. Uh, So that could be fear of being attracted to the same sex, even if that's not their true sexual orientation. Um, We talked about hoarding already. There's health anxiety OCD. People with this subtype are preoccupied with the fear of having a severe illness, often obsessing over physical symptoms or perceived abnormalities. So this might look like compulsions of frequent doctor visits or medical tests. There's the symmetry and exactness OCD. So that's obsessions about achieving symmetry or exactness in objects, actions, or thoughts. Compulsions include repetitive, precise actions aimed at achieving perfection. There's also relationship OCD. So this is kind of like obsessive thoughts about like, do I really love my partner? Does my partner love me? Is this the right person for me? Do I like, I I found this other person attractive. Does that mean I should be with my partner? Um, Things along that nature and the thoughts feel really intrusive and compulsions might be like seeking reassurance like mentally or with your partner, things like that. So the one I left for the end is pure O OCD. This is purely obsessional. This involves primarily intrusive thoughts or obsessions without observable external compulsions. People with pure O experience distressing mental rituals such as rumination, seeking reassurance, or mentally reviewing their thoughts. And that is the type of OCD that I struggle with. I will identify that when I was little, I did go through this period of time where I had to make sure all the doors were locked and all the blinds were shut before I went to bed um, out of fear that like someone would break in or something bad would happen. I also believe that I needed to pray every night before bed. Um, Pretty much I think I was asking for um our house not to burn down and my parents not to die I thought that if I didn't pray before bed that like our house would burn down or my parents might die so I also had to do that even though I wasn't religious I think at this time I might have been going to church with my friend um I didn't grow up in a religious household um but that was something that I developed so that was kind of the only thing that I really have experienced where I felt like I actually had a physical compulsion you could see by checking the doors and the blinds um but then throughout the rest of my life it's been mental all all completely mental except for some of the ways that I go about doing compulsions. so I'm gonna um explain that so I want to get into sharing about my experience with OCD and give you some examples So I've just recently started working with a therapist who actually specializes or focuses on OCD and anxiety. And I've worked with a couple therapists in the past and I tend to 
go more towards like somatic based therapist and do somatic work because I just know how, how, how important and impactful that is. Um, and I've worked with inner child work and somatic parts work, which is all stuff that I do, um, in the program, teach people how to work with those things themselves in the program and do with clients. And that's all been really great, but I found that, um, my experience with OCD started to become more and more apparent and how just like how impactful it was to me and so I thought it would be helpful to go and work with someone who specializes in the area and see what they might be able to offer me and so she's very like cognitive behavioral therapy it's really not my preferred method but I'm giving it a shot just to see if there's like some insight that can come from it and I will say within our first session hearing the language that she used and the way she so easily identified the things that I was talking about and like even had labels for them and the way she just like heard me and understood me was like so 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 refreshing because I feel like those with OCD can really feel like they're struggling alone and my OCD is so specific (laughs) and it's actually something that people like used to make fun of me for and so it's just really helpful to like work with someone who speaks the language of what you're going through no matter what it is and so we kind of identified these areas where I struggle. The number one being decision-making and FOMO, fear of missing out. And the decision-making part is what people used to make fun of me for. Like back in high school, I could hardly make a decision. Like eating out and deciding what to eat off the menu caused me to go into like anxiety, like even cry. And it was this like joke, like, oh, Demi can't make a decision. Nobody knew that it was like OCD. I didn't even know that. I just thought I couldn't make a decision. Um, And that's still like my, I've gotten so much better with decision making. I can definitely order things off menus and make a lot of decisions for myself. But this is still the number one place that I experience obsessions and compulsions. Um, The other area is post-event processing. I do tend to, I'm I'm a processor. I'm a verbal processor. I think I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but I have thousands of voice notes on my phone that I've just like recorded to myself to like process something on my mind, probably often a rumination or reflect on something that happened in an event, an interaction with someone. I like kind of process it and go through it. And then there's the perfectionism aspect that I also struggle with um and it leads me to feeling like this overwhelm like I had to get everything done yesterday this is very hand in hand with my flight response that I've been in most of my life where it's like you know I want to check everything off my list and if I don't get all these things done then I feel really anxious and I don't feel like I like you know was successful today and um there's just this perfectionism aspect to it and she broke down 
perfectionism, and so you might relate to some of this, and these were the pieces that resonated with me. All or nothing thinking. I should have gotten everything done today and I didn't. Anything less than sticking to my diet perfectly is a failure. I seem to be the only person in this house that knows how to clean. There's filtering. You know, you got 10 things done and all you saw was the one thing you didn't. Mind reading. You think you know what other people are thinking about you. Probability. How likely something's going to happen. This feeling of like, I'm never going to get this done. Catastrophic thinking. So those are all kind of signs of perfectionism. And perfectionism, control, and certainty all kind of go hand in hand. And when I reflect on my OCD and anxiety, so much of it is about wanting to have a sense of control and to have certainty. So when I'm looking at the things that I tend to ruminate on, and kind of get hooked on we call it like getting hooked and start spinning like this is where like the the thoughts can just start going and spinning and you kind of feel stuck in that cycle um a lot of it comes around decision making and so um i think i'll just give an example right away and then kind of break it down a little bit more so I'm a really big skier and just this last year at the end of the season we had a pretty like rainy forecast for the season and I think it was like the Saturday or something it was open through Sunday I went up and skied with a friend I think I went two days in a row actually and it wasn't awesome conditions but I had a really great day we had a really fun time skiing we crashed the like staff after party after um just connected with a lot of good people and it felt like a really great end to my season and I the ski area is an hour and a half from where I live or an hour and so I stayed out at my friend's house kind of out that way that night kind of unexpectedly I went to a fire and Um, was just too tired to drive back home and the next day I had really wanted to go home and it was going to be a rainy day and I had like a bunch of stuff to do around the house you know just wanted to spend a rainy Sunday getting things done well my friend was going back up to ski but I knew it was going to be raining up there and I just was like eh and I left his house I went down to the river and I just had this really like beautiful time down by the river there's an old growth forest down there I walked through that it was so gorgeous I just really felt really grateful for the season and I think I had like another friend texting me and he was you know last minute heading up to ski in the rain and I even said to him I was like oh like I'm still out in you know this town glacier but um I had such a great day skiing yesterday I think I'm just gonna let that be my last day you know like that was just like this decision that I had made I felt really strongly about that And then I left and I went um, to the highway and you turn left to go back up to the ski area, you turn right to go back to town. And for some reason, as I got to the highway and I turned right, I felt this like rumination begin, like the, the obsessive thought of, well, maybe I should go up to ski today. Like I'm already out here. 
like maybe it, I, I'll maybe it's gonna be a really good day like the season's almost over like do I really need to go home you know just kind of these like I started ruminating on this idea of like going back up so I'm driving the opposite way towards town and I can feel the the rumination and the anxiety increase tremendously so I decide to pull over you know 10 minutes down the road and I just was kind of like okay I just need to stop and like you know get a grip on this then what I started to do is I went to my phone. So I'm talking about how I tend to have pure O, OCD and mental ruminations and mental compulsions, right? So I might be like starting to analyze the decision and go, okay, well, if I go here, like then it's like this, this and this. But if I don't, then it's this and this. If I go here, you know, and kind of start to like check through it all, like kind of create my own mental checklist um, and maybe like seek reassurance, like by laying it all out and kind of like analyzing it and like looking at all the sides. For me, I do have a compulsion that goes a bit further than that, that I guess could be considered physical because I tend to go to the internet. So I might go and look something up. So I went and I looked at like, What's the weather? Like how much rain is actually falling right now? I'm looking at the telemetry. I'm looking at that, you know. Then I might go and I might look at Instagram stories. Are people up there right now? What does it look like? You know, I and I'll go and actually check things on the internet. For me, it's often like I'm checking the weather. I'm checking like social media to see if there's like any proof of anything and so ultimately I'm looking for like reassurance and certainty that I've made the right decision and like that's the OCD cycle I get stuck in so I have a decision and I might have like a a strong knowing or you know a knowing in one way because I have worked a lot on getting in touch with my intuition and knowing what's best for me But then when the mind comes in, the mind is really noisy and overwhelming and it can clutter that quiet, intuitive voice. So a decision comes up and I will, you know, probably be in a bit of a struggle making this decision. Not everyone, but if I'm having a bit of like rumination about it, I'm unsure. I'm going to find myself feeling a lot of anxiety and start ruminating on this decision. Maybe I'm going to start to analyze it and kind of like look at the pros and cons. And then I might start to go and like check and research some things. And like for some of that, you're like, well, when you do make a decision, there are some like, you know, you need to kind of look at pros and cons and you might need to research stuff. And like this is the key difference. It's like some of that is normal, but there is a point to where it becomes obsessive, to where it feels like you're hooked onto it and you notice it because there's this like tremendous amount of anxiety and there's like this like drive like I need to check this thing and so that happens but then the real part that's like the real suffering for me is like even when I've made a decision and I'm on like the pathway to the decision I've made like here driving towards home you know or like the other weekend we were camping we had a really beautiful morning we drove down the road to go on this certain hike to see the larches 
I was looking at the map on my way down. I didn't have service at the top. I noticed that there's this place to go to that looks like that could be a really cool view. But now we're already down the other way. And so I start to, the inner critic comes in here as well. And the inner critic is really, really mean and harsh. And the inner critic's like, why didn't you look this up? That was probably the best thing to do. Now you're all the way down here, right? And so that feeds into this kind of like rumination on like, oh, why didn't we go do this thing? Should we go back up? Why didn't I check and know sooner, etc.? And then instead of being able to be present on the hike that we're now doing, I'm ruminating on how we're not doing this other thing and how I didn't know to look earlier and didn't pick out the best, most ultimate thing to do. And that's a big part, I think, of what drives my decisions, my decision-making anxiety and FOMO is that I'm like wanting to find the best thing to do, the thing that's in most alignment, that's going to be the most fun, that's going to feel the most fulfilling, that's going to be the best choice. And it's, it's almost as like my brain thinks, my mind thinks that if I like ruminate and learn from the decisions I make, especially the ones that end up not being the right quote unquote thing or most in alignment, which isn't always easy to know because you don't really know what would have happened if you went the other way. But my brain thinks that if I learn enough from those experiences that you know, of, of the thing I chose that wasn't like the right ultimate thing that I will get to a place eventually where I'll never make the wrong decision. I'll always make the decision that's like most in alignment and like the most fulfilling and the best for me. But that place doesn't exist. That place does not exist. All we can do is make the best decision that we can with the information we have at the moment. And we're going to continually find ourselves being like, oh, well, that was either great or maybe that wasn't so great. Maybe I could have made a better decision. Sorry, I just hit the desk. I'm not going to edit it out though. Um, and so I'm, I'm giving you these examples just to see how the mind just kind of starts to spin and kind of grabbing onto things. And so kind of going back to like, you know, I make a decision and I'm on the pathway doing this thing you know that I'm doing like driving towards home because I wanted I had a wonderful day up at the ski area and I want to have this nice like time at home and get some things done but now I'm ruminating on it and now I'm having a compulsion of going to look for proof and it's really interesting because I'm not necessarily looking for proof that my decision was the right one. I'm looking for proof on either side, either that I made the wrong decision or that my decision was the right one. So I'm going to look for certainty. So right, so I'm feeling all this anxiety about like ruminating on this choice. And so to deal with that anxiety comes the compulsion. Can you see how it starts to make sense? Well, maybe let me look and like if it's raining then I know I made the the right choice or you know oh god it said it stopped raining or my friend's up there and he says it's really fun I must have made the wrong choice do you see like so the compulsion comes in but it doesn't actually make you feel better it it doesn't actually make you feel better in fact it keeps the cycle going longer it keeps the obsession going it keeps the rumination going so something that I've come to understand recently is that compulsions can be really, really sneaky. And I actually didn't think I like really struggled with compulsions 
Um, But now that I understand more about like mental compulsions and I've started to kind of unpack the compulsions that I do, I'm like, oh wow, they just kind of sneak on in and they're really just trying to quell that anxiety that you're feeling that you're, you know, ruminating on or you're obsessing about. And it gives some temporary relief, but then the cycle kind of starts back again. And resisting the compulsion is the way to stop the cycle. And that's part of, you know, the most common way that we have in the mental health world. They, they use ERP, which is exposure response prevention. And a, a big part is like trying to resist the compulsion and de- or delay the compulsion, which can create a ton of anxiety so then it feels really uncomfortable so then the person wants to do the compulsion it's really hard to not do it and it can be a thing where I'm like I've noticed myself like saying that I'm like giving excuses as to why I'm like checking something online or checking the weather or reaching out to a friend and asking about how it is or if they're still going or Um, you know, I might be like sharing about something to get advice or reassurance. And it's hard because like all those things are normal things. Like if I'm thinking about going somewhere, I'm going to check the weather. You know, I genuinely care about my friends and the things that they experience. And I'm going to ask how the thing was or how it's going. Or I might ask if someone's still going. I might share about something that's going on. And like getting advice or reassurance isn't a bad thing, but like, you can kind of start to see when you're kind of hooked in and you're using it as a way to um, kind of reduce that anxiety and using it as a compulsion. So like asking or sharing to get advice or researching things, um, even writing it all down or voice memoing it to myself to figure it all out, that's that mental compulsion reassuring myself that I made the right decision, getting a sense that I made the right decision. So I won't get into like too much more detail about this just because it's kind of a lot and it's a lot to unpack and I just wanted to like paint a pretty good picture because you might be able to hear like how confusing it can be and how anxiety inducing and maybe you will resonate if you also tend to struggle with rumination or compulsions of any sort and also just to like show you that it's not the typical things that we might think of for compulsions or obsessions even that it's you know can be these things that many of us experience FOMO indecision etc yet for my brain with OCD it just gets taken further right and it comes to a place where it's not helpful and it's just like draining my energy right so of course the way that I think is like well why did I develop this protective mechanism I think of it as a protective mechanism because ultimately it's trying to achieve a level of certainty and control and I don't totally have the answers just because there's definitely memories missing from my childhood but I can understand that I have that you know I've I've experienced this since I was pretty young and experienced anxiety since I was pretty young 
um, and that I've been a highly sensitive person since a really young age too. I also know some of the things that happened in my childhood that didn't feel, you know, very safe to me um, and there wasn't really anyone to go to to talk to it about. I've talked about this in the last episode and um, Gabor Mate has this like beautiful little quote where um, I'm not going to get it verbatim, but it's something about like, you know, children are not traumatized because they go through pain. They're traumatized because they're alone with their pain. So that one really, really resonates with me as being like a really highly sensitive little kid who likely already inherited anxiety and depression from my family lineage, um, you know, had an alcoholic father and certain aspects of that that were really challenging for my little nervous system and unsafe, parents fighting, um, so there's definitely probably some epigenetic aspects, right? Genetic things that are passed down, intergenerational trauma things that are passed down, already set up in my system, you know, via neuro- neurotransmitters and my vagal tone, what was mimicked to me uh, via my parents' nervous systems, and then intergenerational trauma that has been passed down. And I think there was already aspects of that kind of like programmed in me at a young age and then probably as a way to just kind of deal with the things that felt unsafe and overwhelming to my very sensitive system, it made a lot of sense that I kind of went up into my brain and kind of out of the body and just tried to like feel a sense of control and certainty and kind of like know what was happening and make the right decisions. And that part I'm not so clear on like why I want to like feel like I'm making the best decision, why I like feel like it needs to be the best, most aligned, most fulfilling thing. Um, but that for some reason is something that helps me feel safe and it's part of my protector part inside of me that's doing that. And, you know, it just goes hand in hand with perfectionism which is definitely a response of being overactive in the fight or flight. I'm pretty sure my mom has perfectionism aspects too. And um, I think it's just part of kind of that fight or flight response as well, being in the flight mode, like that anxiety, hypervigilance, go, 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 do, do, do. The mind's just kind of like, you know, and for some reason, like something around decisions and FOMO and like that has been an area that my mind gets hooked on maybe I had an experience in the past where I made a wrong decision and there was like really bad consequences and so I never wanted to like be in that situation again or one thing I uncovered with another therapist in the past was like this feeling of wanting to be ahead of disappointment so um that's something I'm still unpacking and exploring but that of course has been an area that I've you know been curious about So um, I want to just touch on two more things before I wrap up. Something really important is um, I'm going to go over just some tools. Um, There's a lot of tools that I've been learning. Again, these are all like cognitive tools. Um, So I will just say any somatic-based tools that are going to regulate your system out of a fight-or-flight response is also going to be really helpful for disrupting that experience of anxiety or OCD if you experience OCD or rumination or whatever it may be. So I always want to utilize those first. I'm not always 
the best at that when I'm really stuck in like an OCD cycle, but um, that's always going to be such a really important thing to do. And if you don't know what tools to use, then you can join us in the Gut Brain Healing Toolkit because I give you a bunch of tools and I'll keep feeding you tools. Um, or you can also take my quiz because depending on whatever dominant nervous system state you score on, I'm going to give you really helpful tools for that state so you can start to regulate out of that state. Um, so there's that. And then I'm working with her to like learn about the tools that she uses with clients that are like cognitive. I will be honest, they don't work for me super well just because like the cognitive aspect gets really overwhelming, but I'm seeing how there might be benefit to having that bottom up approach, right? Utilizing the body and somatic tools first and then, um, bringing in a top-down approach where then I can like start to challenge my beliefs and kind of disrupt the thinking a little bit. And that's my preferred approach and that's what I recommend to clients. But the important thing is that we're not using the tools to make like the anxiety go away, which we all want, right? We don't want to feel the anxiety. I want it to go away. We're using the tools to just like regroup and ground ourselves in the moment so that we have more capacity to be with the anxiety because the more we push the anxiety away, it just grows bigger. It makes it worse. It sends the message that this anxiety is bad, right? So the goal isn't to get rid of it. It's to be able to have the capacity to be within it and actually go into that anxiety a little bit because that's where the healing is. Because let me remind you, anxiety is not a negative thing. Anxiety has a total purpose in our life because it will keep us, you know, safe and out of dangerous situations. The fight or flight response is a brilliant response that we need. This is just when, you know, we don't want to keep sending that message that anxiety is bad. And this is exactly what we do in trauma healing and somatic experiencing is we have to go into that activation that trigger that anxiety a little bit in a really safe way that our system can handle and then we come out of it and we then we go back into it and we create this like pendulation back and forth between the two so that's one thing I want to say is like we're not trying to like push it away we are always trying to give our system the capacity to be with what it is that we're feeling so that we actually can start to explore it and learn why it's there and then when we learn why it's there and what it's telling us and what's triggering it and what's going on then that's where we can learn the exact things we need to heal it so I'm gonna just share like kind of what my first steps are when I'm ready for that top-down approach when I'm having like a rumination so if I'm ruminating I'm gonna ask myself what's the core fear here like what am I feeling afraid of because that's going to help me identify maybe which tools to use. And then when I feel myself start to spin, I can first like think of the positives. You know, in the, the Baker example, it's like, wow, I had a really great day yesterday. I really wanted to get things done at home. This is going to give me the opportunity to do so, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't always work, but that tends to be something that I will kind of automatically do. And then acknowledge that I feel anxious because I want to make the perfect decision. So that in my situation, it's often about making the perfect decision. But then going into acknowledging that I don't have 100% certainty. And this is supposed to be a really quick thing. Like, 
it's kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what the best decision is. Here's the pros. Here's the cons. I'm making a quick decision. It shouldn't take a lot of time. Like I could go back up to the ski area and it could really suck, you know, or I could go back home and it could have been really amazing and I missed out. Like you're just trying to get like comfortable with it. You just not knowing and not being able to make the perfect decision. So this is my favorite tool. It's maybe, maybe not. And this is one that if I'm just like overwhelmed and I just like want one cognitive tool to use, I'll use this one. So it's like, maybe it's going to be amazing skiing up there and fun time with everybody. Maybe it's not. Maybe I go home and I make the wrong decision, but maybe not. Maybe I go home and it's like the best decision and I like feel really relaxed and I get a lot of things done. Or maybe I go up there and it was a really bad decision and I just got soaked and it was a waste of my time. So it's just like creating this like comfort with the uncertainty. Like maybe, maybe not. And then like just acknowledging like I can handle it. Like I want to make a good decision. I feel anxious, but like I'm just going to make the decision that I can make right now. I can handle it. I can handle whatever happens. And then another thing to do is kind of like this ABC model. So the first one is like the situation, right? So this situation was like, oh, do I go skiing or do I go home? My belief at that point was that I needed to make the best decision. Did I experience, you know, the end of this season fully? Is this the most fulfilling choice? And the consequence of that, right? How am I going to feel when I have that belief? I'm going to feel anxious. So then you just, this is where you bring in a new belief, you know? Do I go skiing or do I go home? Well, a simple, very simple example could be like, well, I don't really know what the best decision is, but I can make the choice that feels best for me today and like know it's going to be okay. And then, you know, what I feel after that is like just, way more relaxed about it being able to just trust my decision that I come to so those are just like a couple of the tools that I've been like trying to use they're I mean they sound really simple they're really hard (laughs) when you're actually in the the moment of OCD um and There's a lot more things that I'm learning, like just like perfectionism tools and um, kind of like what I've been experiencing a lot lately is like I get really overwhelmed in the day and anxious because I just have so, 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 so much to do for like opening this program again and just running this business. And I tend to like try to get too much done and like want to get more accomplished. And, you know, when I'm not working enough, I'll get anxious. So like figuring out tools and ways to kind of like check my cognition and my thoughts and my beliefs around that and kind of like stop them and catch them before they go into a state of rumination or anxiety. So if this is an area that you're resonating with or you're curious to learn more about, whether it applies to OCD or perfectionism, anxiety in general, um, even like decision-making and FOMO, Uh, This is something that I'm like really deep in in my own process and I do work with these areas via the nervous system. Um, I don't necessarily work with the cognitions because I'm not a mental health counselor and I like to work with the body and I work with somatic experiencing and nervous system 
regulation and you know processing trauma via the body through my scope of practice so that's what I'm offer but as I mentioned that in my opinion is the most important thing to do first is really engage that bottom-up approach and make sure we're like letting that anxiety move through the body and identifying maybe the trauma or the early life experiences that developed this protective mechanism working with that protective park through somatic parts work which um is something i'm certified in and offer to people in my program and um making sure that we're kind of like tending to the experience in the body so that we can come in and actually change these beliefs and kind of catch the spiraling thoughts before they you know turn into an anxiety attack or panic or overwhelm or OCD or you know perfectionism tendencies or whatever it may be because those things are all connected to the nervous system and states of the nervous system and nervous system dysregulation and to trauma so um, it's really important that that's being addressed but I am, yeah, really happy to continue sharing these tools and that might happen here on the podcast um, if, if people are interested in that. I'm going to wrap it up there for today and um, I don't know, I'd love to hear from you all. Like honestly, I, like, I say this for a lot of episodes and I really mean it, but like those who struggle with OCD, it can be like just so helpful to connect with others who also struggle because it can be a really lonely thing like there's been so many people in my life that just like why can't you make a decision or like what like why are you still thinking about this decision we're already doing this right and it it's really like I didn't get into like how much it impacts my life or how much suffering or struggle it causes me and how I'm like still really dealing with it um I kept it a little bit light today i really want to share more and be more vulnerable about it but um, I don't know if that should be on the podcast platform that might be more of like a master class in my program or something but if you struggle with OCD or if like this podcast resonates with you and you're like oh my gosh this sounds a lot like me please reach out to me you can dm me on instagram that's below um, you can email me it's just hello at trustyourguthealth.com I would really love to know um, because we're not alone in this and uh, it can be more common than you think. And I've just like, there's like a, a questionnaire. I've, I've scored moderate on the OCD chart. You know, it's compared to some other people. I do have a very moderate or mild experience of OCD, you know, and it might just really look like anxiety. So you know, I just want to create um, connection for others who are going through the same thing. So please reach out and you can find everything else you need down in the show notes. Enter the contest if you want to just support the podcast and have a chance to win entry into my Gut Brain Healing Toolkit for free. That's lifetime access. All that info is down below too. Thank you so, so much for being here. I appreciate you. I hope you have a regulated and resilient day. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and share it. That helps it reach others who will benefit from this information. So much gratitude for you. Have a beautiful day.